Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word from Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We'll be looking this morning at verses 1 through 7 from Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And it's found in your pew Bibles on page number 555. And while you're turning there, the children ages 3 to 8 are free to be dismissed for the children's Bible lesson. The book of Ecclesiastes, it can get a little bit repetitive, but you need to understand that says more about you and me than it does about God's Word. Uh, you, know, you all know it's true. Whenever someone has to repeat something, it's typically because the listener didn't listen well, didn't do what was told to do. And so the fact that Ecclesiastes says kind of over and over again, talking uh, the similar things about the vanity of life and oppression in the world and things of this nature, again, it just sort of indicates that we must be a pretty stubborn bunch, a pretty ignorant crowd that we need uh, Solomon to repeat it over and over again uh, for us. And so here in chapter 5 uh, and following, there's going to be a continuation Telling us, informing us that life is is a crooked path that can't be made straight. Here in chapter 5 and following, we're going to continue to see the vanity of wealth and the brevity of life. We're going to continue to see in chapter 5 and following uh, that life is in many ways unfair, that oppression and injustice and evil abounds. So I'm not going to reiterate these things today. And actually, I'm going to probably skip ahead a little bit. Uh, in in following weeks, in, in upcoming weeks, Lord willing. But here in these first seven verses of chapter 5, we encounter something that we've not really encountered to this point in the book of Ecclesiastes. This is sort of a new direction where Solomon's talking about something that he's not yet addressed. And that is our relationship to God and particularly coming to Him properly, sincerely versus hypocritically. He's talking about worship here. And how we approach the Lord. So from Ecclesiastes chapter 5 beginning in verse 1 I read. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw nearer to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth. Nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. This is God's Word. Thanks be to God. Lord, please open our eyes now and enable us to behold wonderful things from this, Your Word. Through Jesus our Lord, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Up to this point, Solomon has been making various observations about life and about people. 
But now he's really moving in a new direction. And so this is a little bit unique from what we've seen thus far. So it must be important. And so that's why I want to preach on these seven verses this morning. And here's the bottom line. God requires sincerity, not hypocrisy. God is looking for sincerity, not hypocrisy. As it says in verse 1, we must not, quote, offer the sacrifice of fools. And as you read this context here, it, it seems to be that the sacrifice of fools is hypocrisy. Insincere sacrifices the Lord hates. He, God hates duplicity. He hates two-facedness. Matter of fact, in verse 6 we read um, that being two-faced causes, quote, God to be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands. So this is a serious issue. This is a big deal. So what is this hypocrisy and what does it look like? First of all, we see here very clearly that hypocrisy uses too many words. Hypocrisy uses too many words. Verse 1 again, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Solomon is essentially saying here that t hypocrites talk too much. <laughs> it reminds me of a song that is before my time, but I have heard it, a 1960s. Uh, 1960 uh, popular hit um, by Joe Jones called You Talk Too Much. <laughs> I don't know if that would be politically correct these days. It's kind of like the one from the 70s about short people. You know, it just wouldn't fly probably to, to, to have a song about that. I, I didn't know the word, so I looked it up. You talk too much, you worry me to death. You talk too much, you even worry my pet, it says. <laughs> Now, I admit that this can seem a little bit unfair because some of you are, are more talkative than others. You know, just some people just by nature have a lot of words and some don't. And I don't believe that what's being said here is that every long-winded person is a hypocrite. Look at the context. Remember the context here. It's talking about religious settings. It's talking about when you come before the Lord. The question is, in those settings before God, uh, am I just full of hot air? Or am I listening? Am I before God's Word, receiving quietly before God? That's, that's the issue here. Just because you're a more talkative person, it doesn't mean that you're a hypocrite. But when you come before the Lord, do you bloviate? Or do you listen? Do you receive from God? Remember the parable that Jesus tells uh, of the two men who go to the temple to pray? <clears throat> and the one man says... In his prayers, God, I thank you that I'm not like this guy over here and like other people. And I do this and I do that and I do the other. And he's, he's long-winded in his prayers. And then the guy who Jesus said went home justified, what did he, what did he pray? It's a simple, simple sentence. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God is not impressed, apparently, with a high word count. He's not like an English teacher who says, I want you to write me a 2,000-word essay. When you read the Bible, brevity is encouraged. Now, sure, pray without ceasing, we read in 1 Thessalonians. 
In Colossians chapter 4, we see that we're to be devoted to prayer. Um, Jesus spent all night in prayer. But again, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 7, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. And the Lord's Prayer itself is, which we just prayed, probably took us about 30 seconds to work through the Lord's Prayer. I'm not sure the reason we oftentimes, many of us, use too many words. Probably the bottom line is because we have too high of a view of ourselves. We think too highly of ourselves. I mean, maybe we think we're wise. Maybe we want to impress others. Maybe we think we can impress God or that it will guarantee that He hears our prayers. I'm not exactly sure why it is, but probably at root it's because we have too high a view of ourselves and too low a view of God. I found it curious um, the, the the revival that was going on at Asbury and Lee College and Sanford a little bit and some other places even apparently. Um, somebody somewhere was kind of keeping up with the number of hours that it was going on. And I'm thankful for this renewal, the, you know, the, the excitement and the, the confession of sin and so forth, the good things that were happening there. Praise the Lord for that. But I do find it curious that somebody was keeping up. We've been doing this now for, you know, 32 straight hours. And, and then it was, you know, 100 and whatever hours. And that's just kind of a funny thing. I just, I don't know, just people... American people, modern American people, perhaps it just seems like we're obsessed with quantity, and it's just it's just a funny thing, you know. Maybe it could be on why we would use too many words. Maybe, probably, what's getting at here is that it's a cover for hypocrisy. You remember in Shakespeare's Hamlet, um, usually the way we say it is, "Methinks the lady doth protest too much." Actually, it thinks is at the end of the sentence, but it's the idea there that the one who protests too much, the one who seems to have a lot of words defending oneself, uh, it, what it leads to is to doubt the sincerity of the one who's making the denial and who has all these words. You know, to, to, over, to overdo a denial is oftentimes looked at with suspicion. Hypocrisy, we see here in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 oftentimes uses too many words. Second, hypocrisy is too hasty with words. Verse 2, be not rash or reckless or impulsive. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. This is similar to what we read in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 21. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. Hypocrites oftentimes don't think, don't think slowly enough about what it is that they're saying. They just start talking. They use words too hastily. We all know that making sacrifices is costly. 
And so people will oftentimes look for excuses to avoid the sacrifice. And then you see here in verse 3, for a dream comes with much business. Similarly, in verse 7, for when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. We dreamers, we like to talk, don't we? And talking about what you will do is a low-cost way to enhance your reputation down at the church. Hypocrisy. Too many words, too hasty with words. And third, hypocrisy is insincere with words. Which is what we see here in verse 4. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. This interesting little phrase here about the messenger. Don't say to the messenger it was a mistake. Apparently it's talking about there being some sort of financial pledge that you made to the, of course in that, in that case, the temple, to the Lord, to the church. And then the temple messenger shows up and gets it, comes asking for it. Um, I, I know some churches have done, I think, an every member canvas kind of thing where, you know, you're trying to build a new building, you're wanting to start a new ministry of some sort. And so the deacons and elders, you know, show up at your house and, and ask you to, to, to pray about that and to participate in it. And, you know, it might be something like that. Of course, in this case, he's actually coming for the check. <laughs> um, he's, he's looking for it. But the, the pledge is made. The, the temple messenger comes to get it. Then the story that's told by the one who made the vow is that, well, things have changed now. Um, I'm not going to be able to make good on that, on that pledge. Th- things are different. Reminds you probably of the New Testament in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, who sold a piece of property and told everybody, apparently, that the, that, that was for the church. They were going to give that money to help feed, in that case, probably a lot of the poor widows. And so when it came time to, to, make, to, to, to write the check, they left off a zero. <laughs> they, left, they kept some back for themselves. The problem isn't that they didn't give all of it. The problem is that they said they were going to give and they didn't give all of it. They lied. And it cost them their lives. Insincerity. Too hasty. Just too many words. The bottom line of Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 7 is that God hates hypocrisy. He wants sincerity. And verse 6 shows his hatred of it. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? He hates hypocrisy. Now, I want to spend just a, a couple minutes here trying to talk a little bit more about what is hypocrisy. I'm going to give you two definitions of hypocrisy with a couple of subpoints under this first one. Hypocrisy in one sense, one definition would be a profession of faith, profession of a special relationship with God, proclaimed to be in a right relationship with God, a good relationship with God. But then there's contradictory behavior 
There's, there's behavior that's not consistent with that. Now, there's a couple of people that would fit into this type of category. A couple of Christians, I'm going to say, or types of people who would profess to be Christians. The first is what I'm calling an inconsistent Christian. So this inconsistent Christian proclaims to be a Christian, attends church, reads their Bible, um, is generous to the poor, generous to the church. But also, they just get, get angry way too often. They fall too regularly to the sin of gossip. They sometimes drink too much. And you know what? In this sense, every single one of us is this type of hypocrite. Every single one of us is inconsistent as a Christian in this sense. Think about the Apostle Peter, who loved the Lord, who was you know, one of the key uh, uh, disciples of Christ in that inner circle. And yet when the pressure came on, he denied Christ three times. And then later, not only that, that, that isn't the only time he failed. Then later when he wouldn't sit with the Gentiles, but you know, he, he per- perpetuated this uh, separation between Jews and Gentiles in the church of Jesus Christ. It was rebuked about it by Paul. This is all of us in a sense. Every Christian is in many ways, certain ways, an inconsistent one. But then there's a second type of um, hypocrite here, one who makes a profession, a proclamation about their spiritual life, but then there's an inconsistent lifestyle or a life behavior that's contradictory with it. An inauthentic Christian. And that's using the word Christian really with uh, the... The quotation marks around it. This is a person who's simply not a genuine Christian. They don't have the Holy Spirit of God. They've not been regenerated from within. They're far from the Lord, though they profess faith and, pro- and proclaim to be close to Him. You know, this is the guy who pro- professes to be a Christian, but then he lives with his girlfriend. This is the guy who uh, professes to be a Christian, but, but he's not in church or just rarely attends, which is the way I grew up. Christmas and Easter only. That's the only time we attended. This is a guy who professed to be a Christian but regularly gets drunk or is full of anger or whatever. He says he's a, a Christian, but it's really only because, well, he's not an atheist. He's not a Muslim. He, he's, he's not a Hindu or whatever. He's, so he's, oh, yeah, of course. Well, then, yeah, I'm a Christian. What's the difference between that inconsistent Christian and the inauthentic Christian? Well, the inconsistent Christian is inconsistent and he hates that fact. He struggles with sin. He's fighting sin. He confesses it as sin. He's praying about it and he's asking his friends to pray for him to overcome this sin. Again, think about Peter. After his denial of Christ, what did he do? He went out and bawled his eyes out because of what it had done to his Lord. It it just broke his heart. And that's what you see with an inconsistent Christian. Yes, there's inconsistency. Every single one of us are this type of Christian. But Lord willing, there's going to be along with it a genuine brokenness over our sin. Whereas the inauthentic Christian is not really bothered by that sin. Not struggling with it. Not wrestling with it. Maybe he doesn't even really think of himself as much of a sinner. So that's one definition of 
hypocrisy is this profession of faith, proclamation of a good relationship with the Lord, but then contra- uh, behavior that contradicts that. But then there's another type of hypocrite, and this one actually may be even more what's being spoken of here in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. There's this profession of faith, a proclamation of a good relationship with God, and then there's, in many ways, a lot of kind of, quote, righteous behavior. But there's no heart in it. There's no heart in that relationship with the Lord. This is the guy who walks the straight and narrow. The guy who's very righteous. The guy who's very good outwardly. But this person is a hypocrite because his heart is not in it. This, this righteous guy is actually far from the Lord, though he looks like he's close to God. And the great example biblically of this would be the elder brother. Sometimes we think of it, the parable uh, Jesus tells in Luke, uh, the parable of the prodigal son is what we oftentimes say it. But but usually your Bible, uh, where where it separates the paragraphs there, it calls it the parable of the man with two sons. And this is this elder brother is this type of hypocrite. I mean, he seemed to be close to his father, but he was actually a long way away from him. He didn't obey his father out of sincere love for his father. He was just going through the motions. And that's what this section of Ecclesiastes, I believe, is in many ways talking about. And it's teaching us that hypocrisy is a great sin. And it's certainly not a, I mean, it's certainly a sin not to fear God. It's, it's certainly a, a sin just to be an unbeliever. But it's a greater sin to proclaim yourself a believer but not have your heart engaged in it. Hypocrisy uses too many words. It's too hasty with words. And then it's insincere with words. So how should we approach God and relate to Him? Verse 7 gives us the answer. For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. That's how we relate to the Lord. That's how we approach to the approach the Lord is with a great humility fearing God respecting Him in awe of His majesty and His grace sensing ourselves we don't go before Him with our chest puffed out but very humble before the Lord which leads to the, the final little point here how do you get that? how do you get that humility? And over and over again, what we have seen in Ecclesiastes is that Christians relate to God by grace. And this fear of the Lord, this grace to enjoy life is a gift from God. To be content with your lot is a gift from the Lord. And you see it in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. So if you haven't already closed your Bible, look at verse 18 in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and I'll read through verse 20. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. That is so similar to what we've been seeing so far numerous times in Ecclesiastes. And then verse 19, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. 
for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Again, this ability to enjoy life, this ability to be able to relate to God uh, in a proper way, in, in a humble way, with the fear of the Lord, this is a gift of the Lord. It's a gift from God to be able to enjoy um, the, the things that God gives us in life. And we won't find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun without the Lord giving us this gift. Even the ability to struggle against sin, even the ability to hate sin, to weep like Peter at our sin, is a gift from the Lord. For by grace are we saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of the Lord. No one, not a single one of us here can ever relate to God, claim that we can relate to God based on our own self-righteousness. And every day when we're inconsistent, we are reminded that our only hope for righteousness is Jesus. He paid our sin debt. He lived a perfectly righteous life and credits that to our account. To that we say, thanks be to God. And may the Lord, I pray, give us this wonderful gift of genuine, sincere love for Him that we might be able, that we might have the gift of God Himself, the Holy Spirit, enabling us to fight sin and enjoy the gifts that God gives us in life. Let us pray. And as we pray, I want to just give you a few moments for silent prayers that you might do business with the Lord. Heavenly Father, you teach us that it is a great sin to be a hypocrite. And yet every day, each of us live, lives like, we, we live like one just as we're inconsistent. We talk about loving our neighbor and then we don't love our neighbor very well. Or whatever it might be. God, each day our sin should push us to Christ. Each day it should re be a reminder for us that our only hope for righteousness is Jesus. And I pray that you would give each one of us here today that gift of righteousness, forgiveness that we need through Jesus, through whom we pray. Amen. And I would love to talk with you more about that gift of being in a right relationship with the Lord anytime. I would love to chat with you after the service even. Let's stand together and sing to the Lord this hymn of response, every promise of your word.
is to go. And now, now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you wholly. And may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and He will do it. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Amen. Thank you.